Welcome to Coog's Talk Stock from WSU Extension, a science-based podcast about animal agriculture for those that raise food animals, those that are interested in learning how, and those that want to learn more about where their food comes from. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Coog's Talk Stock. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Don Llewellyn, Livestock Extension Specialist for WSU Extension on the main campus in Pullman. Welcome back to Coog's Talk Stock. Many of you know me from my work with Beef Cow Nutrition and Management. However, today we're going to shift gears a bit and we're going to talk about dogs and dog training. Dogs play a really a key role uh, on many farms and ranches. And many of our WSU animal science students also have the goal of earning a degree in veterinary medicine. So uh, this is really relevant to the the world of animal sciences. And so, and also companion animals make great 4-H project. It's amazing that the number of retailers these days that provide companion animals with products and services, it's really become a huge industry in the United States and is certainly part of of our animal sciences and uh, companion annual animal curriculum. So today, please welcome Stephanie Nillis from Positive Connection, a dog training facility in the Spokane Valley, Washington. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hi, Stephanie. It's really good to have you here. And so let's get started by uh, having you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the dog training business. Sure. So, um, like you said, I'm Stephanie Nillis with Positive Connection Dog Training in Spokane. And I wasn't always a dog trainer, nor did I set out to be as a little girl. Um, I was always into animals, but I went on to be uh, an educator. I taught kindergarten and second grade. And I moved around because I was married into the military and as anybody who knows who's been in the military, you know, the spouse is just your job changes as you move around. Uh, and so it's really hard to maintain one job. And so I landed in an area and I thought, well, I can't get a teaching job. So what am I going to do? And I thought, well, you know, I'm... Um, I've got extra time and I love animals. So I went and started volunteering at an animal shelter and I ended up loving it. I was doing lots of work to get dogs adopted and doing lots of research on how I could maximize my time with them. And because there were so many dogs to get to and get them walked and I wanted to get photos so people knew that they were there and looked adorable and maybe they'd come and adopt them. And so we just kind of got into it that way and started to love it. And I thought, this is so much like teaching children. Like I was learning more and more about dog training because the more obedience a dog has, the more um, they, they're more attractive to adopters. And so I was, as I was learning more and more about dog training, I was like, this is exactly like how I taught children. I could do it with kindness and small baby steps to grow into bigger skills. And I thought, this is awesome. And I saw someone who was, that was their sole job. And I thought, oh my gosh, I want to do this as my sole job. This is fantastic. And so I made the switch and I've been doing it ever since. So well, that, <laughs> it just kind of awesome. came about. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. Uh, that you're able to take a part of your life that you're really passionate about and excited and turn it into a business. And so it certainly makes it 
it great uh, to get up in the morning and go to work when you have uh, when you're able to do the things you, that you love to do. Absolutely. So, yeah. So so um, we really appreciate you being here today uh, on our episode of Coogs Talk Stock and sharing some really important information that I think is really going to be useful for both youth and adults alike before they consider bringing home that cute puppy that eventually winds winds up all grown up. And uh, <laughs> there's a lot of physical and psychological changes and hoops that you have to go through for both the humans and the dogs uh, mm-hmm. to make that transition as they grow. And mm-hmm. so can you share with us some of the pros and cons of adoption of a dog from a shelter versus uh, a purebred dog from a breeder or somewhere in between uh, somebody that has a litter of puppies that uh, are, are of mixed breeds? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be work no matter if you are adopting a dog or if you're getting a purebred dog. There's always going, you have to invest in them no matter where you get them from. And there's a lot of people that are very pro adoption only. And then they're, you know, and if you get a purebred dog, you're villainized because you purchased the dog. And I just think that everyone needs to go about finding the dog that best fits them. And that may be through adoption and it may be through a breeder. Now, when you go to adopt a dog, it is wonderful that we can take one less dog out of a shelter and find it a home. And there are some gems in the shelters, absolute gems. And they get into the shelters by through all sorts of different circumstances. It's not just because of naughty behavior or um, you know, it could have been through there was a divorce that happened and the dog was very, very well loved, but they couldn't, they were moving into an apartment and couldn't take the dog. So they, you know, it's a wonderful dog and you could just get an absolute treasure from the shelter. On the other hand, you you know, dogs also land into the shelter because they might have behavioral issues and those might always not be known. A lot of times dogs are really shut down in the shelters. It's a pretty stressful environment. And so you're not necessarily always seeing the true dog. They really tell you, wait about 30 days after you have the dog. And that's when you see who they truly are. And that's when some behaviors could show themselves when they didn't show themselves earlier on in the relationship. So you are, it's kind of a crapshoot. You don't always know what you're getting when you're adopting from a shelter. But on the other hand, you could also be getting a lovely dog. It's just, you know, you got to feel it out. Maybe um, you can always ask for trainers to help you find a right, just right dog for you and really ask a lot of questions of the staff at the shelter. And then, you know, you have your purebred dogs and you got to be a little bit careful here because, not all breeders are the same. You have your backyard breeders and then you have your very responsible breeders who are AKC registered. Um, the puppies are all healthy, as healthy as can be because the breeder is doing all the testing that's required of the parents to make sure they're not passing on deformities, diseases, those kinds of things that could crop up later in life. And so your backyard breeders, so your puppy should have some papers that come with it is what I'm trying to say. You want to go with those reputable breeders who are doing their due diligence to make sure that they are giving you the healthiest pure breed dog possible. And then you have your backyard breeders who 
they would love to earn a buck on their puppies. They're doing it more for the money versus the love of the breed. And they do not come with papers. You do not know what kind of predisposed conditions they might have. So I would be, and also just support, they usually don't grow up in really good conditions. And so I am really a proponent of not supporting these backyard breeders who are just doing it for the money. I think you can um, get yourself into some trouble later. The puppies are not usually socialized very well, where a reputable breeder, they do lots of socializing. Again, they're not doing it for the money after they pay for all the testing and training. You are There's no money to be made in breeding necessarily if you're doing it right. And so, I think just doing your research is the best way that you can avoid um, some of the pitfalls of either adopting or buying a dog. Well, that's really great advice. Um, So let's jump to a question here that maybe is on many dog owners' minds. Why should I invest time and money into dog training? And alternatively, can I do it myself? Is it really worth the investment? Yeah. And you said earlier in, you know, when you're introducing the podcast about how dogs are becoming this billion dollar industry. I mean, they're everyone selling dog stuff. It's more than it's ever been. Dogs used to be just kind of on the farms. They were just around. Sometimes a dog would just show up on the farm and they'd live their life out there and they were never inside the homes. But now we're finding that dogs are not only inside the homes, they're on the couches, they're in the cars, they're going to the lakes, they're going to cafes. And so I think if you're wanting to have these dogs be a part of your life and being able to take them places with you. And most people, when they get a dog, dream of that. They want the off-leash dog that they're walking down, you know, to get their coffee in the morning. And um, it's just blissful. But that does take time. And that does take an investment on your part because dogs aren't born knowing how to walk by your side. Dogs aren't born knowing they're not supposed to just run off. And that's something that we need to teach them to live in a human world. And that takes time and it does take money. Um, absolutely. But it's well, well, well worth the investment. Awesome. And just a, a follow up to that question that kind of kind of led into another question that I have. What if you have small children in the house? Is there considerations you need to make about the type of dog or 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 the situation in total if you've got these little kids around? Mm, that's a really, really great question. So I always like to share with people that 77% of dog bites to children are from dogs the children know. And a lot of those situations could have been avoided with through management. So I do believe that when you're going to find a dog, it needs to fit your lifestyle. So if you like to just hang out at home, not a lot of people around, you want kind of a lazier dog, that you go get that kind of dog. If you're a hiker, runner, you, you're kayaking, you're paddleboarding, you want this dog to be really active, you go get that kind of dog. And then when we're bringing that into the home, no matter if they're the couch potato or they're the high energy dog, when we have children, I highly recommend doing management. And that management will look like 
the dog is crated when you can't watch the children and the dog, if you, you need to go and do the dishes, but you can't watch them together, that the dog is crated and that the children know that they don't bother the dog when the dog is crated. That way, you know that all the interactions between the children and the dog are healthy. You are right there on the scene in case anything were to rear its ugly head, you are right there monitoring. I also like to teach children that we're not hugging the dogs. We are not laying on the dogs. We're not bothering the dogs when they're sleeping or eating. Those are all ways that bad things can happen. And children don't know any better. And I think we need to teach the children how to interact appropriately with these dogs. But so much comes from adult management and monitoring. We never leave children alone with the dog and we're putting up barriers, whether it's a crate, it could be even a baby gate. The dog would be on one side, small children are on the other side, but we never leave them alone together. I just really want to set up the children and the dogs for success. Yeah, that's great advice. And I assume also that has a it has a bearing on if you get the dog as a puppy and the puppy has been used to the children from the start. That's a big positive. Am I right? It really is. And that's a really great question. If you're going to be adopting a dog, you know, is there any prior knowledge if the dog has been around children? Did it also live in a home with children? Because and if that they don't have that information, it might be a no. That dog might not be right for you because there's a big, big question mark out there. We're not sure. And children's safety is number one. We got to admit, we don't take risks there. But um, having a puppy grow up with children is absolutely wonderful. And I always like to say, even if like for me, for instance, I don't have children of my own, but when I'm raising a puppy, I don't think about necessarily what my home life is always going to be like. I always like to think about what could my puppy experience in life? So even though I don't have children, I want my puppy to be good around children. So I go seek out children for my puppy to be exposed to and socialize with. So if I ever go to a barbecue of a friend's and I want to take my dog and there's children there, I don't have to worry because I did the work when the puppy was little to socialize them with children because I don't have them of my own. Super. So, yeah. I'm just really cautious when it comes to children and and dogs. Well said. So sometimes people say you're training the human as much as the dog. Is that right? And, And also, could you expand on this idea of positive reinforcement training versus electric collars and those type of things? What's your philosophy? Sure. And yeah, 100% I'm training the humans versus training the dogs. We need to learn to communicate with the dogs. We think, again, that the dogs just, if I say sit, the dogs should sit. But the dogs don't even know English. And so it's really a matter of teaching the human how to train the dog. How do we communicate what we are asking of them? And the more that I can teach the human, the better relationship that human and the dog 
have together. It just deepens their bond. It also reduces a lot of frustration between the two of them. So I'm really working on all the habits of the human. One of the big things are how many times do I say the dog's name? That's a really big habit that people get into. They'll say, Max, 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 Max. And it's like, well, we need to have better behaviors and better habits in that we and teach the dog when I say your name one time, you give me eye contact. But when in fact, when we repeat the name over and over and over again, we're unintentionally teaching the dog to ignore us. And I know it's unintentional. We are not trying to do that. We think we're just trying to get their attention when in fact we should back up a few steps and really reinforce the eye contact. When we say their name one time, the dog looks at us, we reinforce. And that goes into how I train. I am 100% a positive reinforcement trainer. Um, I don't use fear, force, or intimidation to train. No electronic collars, no choke chains, no prong collars. Colors, none of that. I really want to use what is current in animal behavior and science and use that in my training. Uh, I do lots of seminars, um, read lots of books from people who are very much into animal behavior and science. Um, these people are training all sorts of species and where they're all using positive reinforcement. And some of these species like your beluga whale, your elephant, um, they could just tell you no. There's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) They could just tell you no and they go do whatever they want to do. And through positive reinforcement, we're able to change behavior in these animals and they're willing to participate with the humans. It is absolute magic when that happens. And I never want my dog to act in fear of me because that's not reliable. But when I take the time to train and reinforce and reward their behavior, they are so willing to work for me. And I know that when I'm out with my dog, Annika, and she's never been on leash in her life, she's two years old and I've never put her on a leash. And that's because I've reinforced her behavior. I've reinforced through food and through play. And I'm able to walk in a field with full confidence. I could call her back to me no matter what's going on. And I don't, and because she wants to, she wants to please me. We've done it so much. She thinks it's fun. She enjoys being with me. That feels good to me knowing that we are so connected. We understand each other. And that's, that was all done through positive reinforcement. Well, that, and I always use awesome. the example. Yeah, I always use the example just for fun. You know, the with punishment, that punishment doesn't work. I mean, if it did, then we would not speed when we got a speeding ticket. So we get punished if we speed and get caught, we get a speeding ticket. But that does not change our behavior. But if a police officer was going around and giving us $100 bills going, I love that you are following the speed limit, more of us would try to get caught following the speed limit. But that punishment doesn't work. So positive reinforcement does. Awesome. Yeah. So, so, so as puppies develop, they go through a lot of psychological and physical changes, obviously. And mm-hmm. so can you give our listeners some sense of the milestones uh, in puppy development and how the training changes uh, as they get older and share some of the age appropriate activities that you that you put the dogs through? 
Sure. So basically, in a nutshell, is before 20 weeks of age is the most critical time of a dog's life. The most critical. They are learning how to look at the world. Do Is sharing my food okay? Is being left alone okay? Dogs are okay. People are okay. Sounds are okay. Fireworks are okay. Um, they're learning all of this and we can build their confidence during this time. They are making connections in their brain. And if we set the stage at this time of their life, we have set the stage for the rest of their life. So, As I was mentioning earlier, if I'm taking my puppy and socializing them with children, they are going to like children then forever. They've had positive experiences with them. They are going to like children forever. My dog, Annika, again, I can put her with any child and she loves them. But that's because I did all the work when her brain was forming during that time. And so all she knows is goodness. Children equal goodness. And so it's really critical getting them into puppy classes. And there's this, it's really hard for people because they do, there's so much information out there. It's like, well, who do I listen to? Who do I trust? And there's this big push, you know, from veterinarians that you keep your puppy guarded and protected until they're fully vaccinated. Well, they might not be fully vaccinated until 18 weeks, but what we know from science is that they are learning about the world from zero to 20 weeks of age. I mean, we are making these connections, our brains are forming. So what we end up doing by harboring our puppies in the home until they're 18 weeks old and then starting, we can be building you know, fearful puppies, very shy um, puppies that don't like to get along with other dogs because they scare them. They've never seen them before. These connections have already started to be made, but they have not been exposed. So therefore, fear is involved then. And that is the thing that we want to avoid any by any means possible. We want to avoid that. So you're more likely to have a very fearful dog, a reactive dog, an aggressive dog by harboring your puppy. Now, that's not to say that we just let our puppy go to a dog park and go and play. I very much protect my puppy. So the fear is parvo. The vets are saying, do not take your puppy anywhere because they're going to contract parvo. And as we need to be aware that parvo does exist and that my puppy could get parvo. But parvo lives in feces of dogs. So I don't take my puppy anywhere where there's feces of dogs that I don't know that are fully vaccinated. I also don't take my puppy to play with dogs who are not fully vaccinated and have a good vet history. So these are, I always take my puppy around dogs that I know are going to be safe for my puppy. So then my puppy is getting the exposure in a very safe place. I also will put my puppy in a cart, say at Home Depot and go around. My puppy's not touching the floor. I don't know what dogs have been walking in Home Depot. So I put my puppy in the cart. I wheel them around Home Depot. They're exposed, getting exposure with all the people, all the strangers. They're getting exposure by the saw that cuts the wood for people, the carts that roll, the sliding doors that open. It's a magical place to take your puppy for so much exposure. But I'm also balancing that with my puppy being safe because they're in the cart. So there's ways to do it, as you know, and be safe. And then 
we go a little bit further out of that puppy stage, the baby, baby stage. And then we start getting into some teenage behavior as we start to grow. Yeah, so I've these been there. Dogs, <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. And really, the dogs in the shelters, the more, most common age is between nine months and a year and a half. And there's a reason for that, is that these are young dogs in big bodies. So the destruction, the mayhem is very big. So that's what's so important about as soon as you get your dog that you start training and stay consistent. You just keep training. One class, not enough. You've got to be consistent and keep going to get them until the point that they're starting to mature. And depending on the breed that can happen and, and individual dog that can happen maybe after a couple years. So, I mean, my, my dog is two years old and she is crated when I leave because even at two years old, she is not trustworthy to be out and not chew something. So I know this about her. And so I manage that environment to, and set her up for success. So I've been training her for two years nonstop and she's still not done, but I do already have that off-leash behavior because I was reinforcing from the very beginning, being with me is wonderful. And so she continues to do so and stays by me. But it's a long haul. It's definitely an investment. You've got to just buckle up and go for the ride. But if you do, the payout is wonderful. You'll just have longevity with your dog and have such a loving bond with them. I, I certainly agree with that. And, you know, I've been at it with with our Daisy in your classes and it, it is a long haul, but it's just as enjoyable for the for the human as it is for the, the puppy as well. You know, it's just it's just to be able to see them uh, progress and sometimes mm-hmm. they take a step back, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but they do progress all of them in the classes. And it, it's a great thing to see. And it's a great thing to see the investment that the people that take the classes have uh, for their dogs. Absolutely. Because I remember when we used to, Daisy was called the wrecking ball. <laughs> yes. And now she is doing some work off leash in classes. I mean, that's the progression. She has, but you've stayed with it. You've stayed true and let her ebbed and flowed as they go through a growth spurt or they're feeling frisky one day and you just kind of ride out those waves. And, but there's always going to be progress. There's always going to be progress. Absolutely. Yeah. So look, let's shift gears just a little bit. And what if our listeners already have a mature dog that hasn't been trained or isn't obedient? Is it ever too late to train? What are their options? (laughs) Yeah. So let me tell you something. There was a dog. His name was Chester. And he came to his first obedience class at 13. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And he was awesome. He learned all the things the young dogs were learning. There is no expiration date on training. You can start at any time. Now, that's talking about obedience training. But if, let's say, Chester came to class, he was 13 years old, and the mom says, I would love to get him to like other dogs. He's very aggressive with other dogs. I'd say we missed the mark by about 12, oh, 12 years, nine months. (laughs) 
Sure. We missed it by a long mile. So that is something that we can't undo. But obedience to walk nicely on a leash, to sit, to stay, to leave it, all of those things, age does not matter one bit. So how about problem dogs? Is there is there hope for them? And do you, do you work with problem dogs? I do work with problem dogs. And the hope is, is from dog to dog. It really depends on their experience. It depends on how long they have practiced the behavior. There's a lot of factors that go into this. And, you know, with problem dogs, if we're looking at aggression, for instance, there is this idea, is it nature or is it nurture? So sometimes we're dealing with a dog that could actually have a disconnect in their brain causing issues. And then we have other dogs that were raised, you know, because there's been dogs that have been raised by trainers even and from puppyhood. And they turned out to be very, very aggressive and they've never had anything adverse have happened to them. It makes us wonder if there's something from nature that made them this way. Those are very, you can't undo those um, no matter how hard you try. And then we have other dogs who might be fearful of, let's say, a vacuum cleaner. Depending on their experience, there could be a possibility we could turn them around so vacuuming would not send them into a tailspin and they go hide in the closet. So I do take all these cases just case by case. I look at the dogs as individuals and then I assess from there to see what help can I bring to this dog. But I do think that no matter what, I like to exhaust all possibilities and that makes me sleep well at night knowing that I did everything that I could for this dog. I tried everything I knew how to do um, from medication to um, behavior modification um, to exercise, good food. I've tried everything and to see if I could help this dog. Sure. So it's very much individualized. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can sure see that. So. Most people, when they engage in some sort of activity, they like it to be to be fun and interesting and so forth. And so how do you how do you make your sessions fun for the humans and uh, and what kind of trainings are available that are just playing fun for the dog and the owner, you know, in addition to the obedience training? Sure. You know, and this is where my teaching background really comes into play because I am now just teaching, you know, humans to train their dogs. I'm still teaching. And so I can keep the flow of my classroom going because I can get a sense of when things are dying down, when people start petering out. I know then I can inject in another skill, a fun activity, and that just boosts the energy of the room. And I learned all of that by teaching kindergarten because they'd eat you alive if you were not on your toes. And so I learned all these skills long ago and I'm able to insert that into my classes. And I think training should be fun. You should enjoy the time with your dog, even if it's just working on a sit-stay. It still can be fun. 
And I think you can go into things like your agility for fun. I think you can do your nose work. Um, There's so many activities out there that you can do with your dog and enjoy the time that you have together. And I think the more you do with your dog, again, the deeper bond you're going to have with this dog. They'll be the one that just leave an impression on your heart. Exactly. I certainly can agree with that because our training night is with with Daisy is one of the highlights of my week. You know, it's it's a oh, great way to wonderful. unwind and be be with you, with your pal and just uh, and you see the look on their face and, w- and when you get the the dog you come down the street to training and the dog's excited to get there and and it's it's <laughs> it's it's a it's great you know and so it is so um uh here's a question um that some of our listeners might have is there an age limit to for the humans i'm talking about that can mm-hmm. come and train a dog with you in other words can kids work with you and their dogs at your facility and uh, have you ever worked with 4-H members? You know, 4-H is a big thing in, in, with WSU Extension, and, mm-hmm. uh, and 4-H members can have dog projects. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Kids make fantastic trainers. I do recommend that the children are normally about six and above. Again, you know, children mature at different ages and have um, some have better body mechanics or body awareness than others do. And so it is a case by case basis. But Children overall make great, great trainers. They're so used to learning. They're not set in their ways. Uh, It is fantastic. And I love when children come just to help build their confidence and they're doing it. They're responsible for training this dog. And it's like, look what you have done. Look at you working as a team. This is beautiful. I love taking videos and texting it to their parents so they can see later of the two of them working together. Um, Children are just fantastic at training. And I think also getting the children involved, it really um, provides a sense of responsibility, what it does take, what it takes to take care of a dog and the work that goes into it. Because we look at puppies and we go, they're so cute, but puppies are a lot of work. And so it gives them a whole new appreciation of what it takes to go get a dog. And maybe then the more the children are involved in the training, one, the dog will be listening to the children as well as the as the adults, which is a common problem that I hear. The adults are like, the dog listens to me, but the children just get run over by the dog. <laughs> well, when the children participate, that usually subsides. And maybe then the children will also have a better understanding as they start to get older that they will ask themselves, do I have the time to get a dog right now? Is this the right time? Do I have enough money to get a dog right now? And then maybe we're educating children more to make better decisions that, and less dogs will be landing in shelters that way. Yeah, due that's to better great. Decisions. Yeah. That's great yeah. advice. Great advice. Um, so it's also my understanding that you're branching out in your work with dogs uh, to other facets of working with them. And can you share some of those activities with our listeners? I am branching out and I am so excited about this. I am opening up a hydrotherapy pool for dogs. 
Um, it is an 18 by seven and a half foot pool. It is not a treadmill. It is a full on swimming pool for dogs. So it'll be the only one in our area. And I am just thrilled to be doing this. Um, it's really inspired by my dog, Bam. He has degenerative myopathy, which is kind of like ALS for humans. So he's in a wheelchair and I couldn't find a place that I wanted him to go to that took care of his mental well-being as well as his physical well-being. So I thought I'll go and create it. And it turns out I love it. I love getting the dogs in the pool and working with them and seeing them be so happy and content when they're out of the pool and they're all done and they're cozy. So that is in the works. Um, the pool is in my shop. I'm currently building a deck for it. I'm putting together, it's a very carefully designed plan with the dogs in mind to make sure that it is safe, that it is comfortable, that they run to the door for the pool, just like they run to the door at my training studio. I want them to be that happy. So that is my big thing that I'm working on right now. Oh, that that sounds wonderful. Um, we'll be interested to hear how that goes. Um, what kind of conditions, mostly physical therapy type things that you'll be working with the dogs uh, in, in with hydrotherapy? Most common, yes, it'll be some physical therapy uh, work uh, a lot of senior dogs. It's a great way to eliminate the pressure on joints. You can relieve some of the aches and pains from arthritis in the pool. They're weightless in the pool. So it's super cozy. And the water is between 92 to 94 degrees. So it's warm for them to be in. And then this is a really great place like we mentioned with the physical therapy, dogs healing from um, your knee surgeries and a common surgeries that take a long time for these dogs to heal. They can heal faster in the water. Um, there's no pressure on their joints. They can get full range of motion in the water and they don't even get full range of motion in their stride on land, but in the water they can. So it's really comfortable for them. I can also um, massage them and get into areas that I wouldn't be able to do when they were on land. So they can come out so comfortable and there's no pressure that's not supposed to be painful. Uh, so they're, they're very comfortable in the water and just love coming. So it'll run the gamut. And of course, you can have those sports dogs who like to um, really swim. They're going for toys. It's more for athleticism. It could be for weight loss as well. So sure. we get a few of those. But the majority of the work is usually your senior dogs and those dogs rehabbing from an injury or surgery. Well, great. That sounds like it's going to be a great endeavor for you. So uh, as we wrap up here today, Stephanie, are there any words of wisdom you'd like to share with our audience who, who know that they're dog lovers or those who would like to explore getting their first dog? Yeah, I guess my biggest piece of advice is know yourself, know your lifestyle, and then start thinking of a dog that would fit into that. 
I like a lot of different breeds, but I know some breeds are just not for my lifestyle. And that's really important. No, do you want to take a dog to a groomer or would you rather have the wash and go kind that just have the single coat and you don't grooming, not necessary. Know those things about yourself, what you're willing to do, and then go find a dog that checks those boxes. I think that will eliminate a lot of frustration later down the road. And if you can get into training, do it. Do it. It holds people accountable because you have a class every single week and you will see the progression in your dog. The curriculum's made for you. You don't have to think, what should I teach my dog? You don't have to go on YouTube and find things. It's already designed for you. And when you get into a really comfortable environment, I hope that it is one that you are looking forward to, that it's like a date night for you and your dog to go. So those are my two biggest pieces of advice. Find the dog that is just right for you and get enrolled into some training. Okay. Well, that's great advice. Uh, Stephanie, it's been awesome to have you here on the podcast today to share your thoughts about dogs and dog training. We can post your contact information in the show notes. So if people have questions uh, that they can contact you. And also, Stephanie, if you have any resources you'd like to share with the audience, uh, we would be happy to post those for you as well. If people would like to contact you or get more information on the web, uh, where could they get that from? Sure. So I have a website. It is positiveconnectiondogtraining.com. And when you go to spell it, you got to spell it P-A-W, like a dog, paw, and then the rest of positive. So P-A-W-S-I-T-I-V-E, connection, just one connection, dogtraining.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you. So until next time, this is Dr. Don Llewellyn for Coog's Talk Stock. Thank you for listening to the Coog's Talk Stock podcast, brought to you by Washington State University Extension. You can review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Coog's Talk Stock, where the additional resources from our podcast are linked. Let us know if you have any burning questions or suggestions at Coog's Talk Stock at wsu.edu. This podcast is brought to you by Hannah Browse, Sarah Drager, Dr. Don Llewellyn, and Natasha Moffat-Hemmer, and is produced by Connors Communications at Washington State University. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.